brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's my new patent starting for the show like this. And I don't know why I do that. I don't know why I do that. And I say this every single show. I'm so used to the old days. I had a starting. I had like a, a clip that would start so I could kind of get into the deal. So here we are. Got my hat on. I'm official, baby. I earned this hat. Okay. I earned this hat. FBI. Gather round. Gather round. Gather round, clowns. Mm-hmm. We're back. We're back live in studio. Michael Moulton, M2 The Rock, coming to you live from Dallas, Texas. D-Town, baby. Six more days until the NFL kicks off. Oh, golly. Uh, the, the greatest team in the world, the Dallas Cowboys, It's they're back. They're back. If this is the year. Mark it down. This is the year. So I'm waiting for everybody to get on here. Uh, my name is Michael Moulton. I'm your host tonight on M2 The Rocket. Yeah, we're live. And I appreciate your patience. The last uh, last week, we came live one night. We were doing a lot of encore shows and uh, taking a little break. But we're back. We got, oh, we got a show tonight. Oh, you, we got boss. We got, I've been talking to her backstage. Oh, my. Live from Kansas City, Angela Pugh. Pug, Pew, I don't know. I'm going to let her check me out on that. Uh, you're, just wait. Just wait. Uh, get this shared out. This show is brought to you by DFW Coin and Jewelry. That's DFW Coin and Jewelry. Kristen Oyster. Uh, talk to him via text today. Make sure that he's doing okay. And then we've got uh, the great Healing Springs Ranch. That's right. Healing Springs Ranch is a residential treatment center one hour north of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, tucked away on 80 acres uh, north of Dallas, up in Tioga, Texas, where uh, the home of Gene Autry. It's horse country up there. It's beautiful. They got a nine-hole golf course. They got lakes. They got Tempur-Pedic mattresses. They've got incredible therapists. They have great food. Um, and you go up there and all you have to do is change one thing. And that is change everything. That's it. That's all we ask. And go up there and do what's recommended, do what's suggested. And if you don't like what happens after however many days you're there, uh, they will refund all of your misery back as you leave. They'll give you all your misery back and you can just take it and go do what you used to do and try to drink like a normal person so all right so right now i'm gonna get this shared out if you're watching us on social media um or you're listening to us audio we have a lot of people who 
watch. Okay. This is a visual show. So if you're like going, who's this guy talking to? We do have people that watch the show. So I'm going to share this out onto our into the rock Facebook live channel. It's a group uh, that we have and our, and our guest that's coming on has also got a group so that you're going to get to be introduced to a new group of recovery. So if we're looking for connection, because connection is uh, so important, we're going to do that. All right, let me lay out. we got a big week coming up. Uh, hello everyone. I see everybody jumping on here. Okay. Uh, Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, we have Eric Niedemeyer, who's going to be on the show. He is the CEO of Recovery Resource uh, Council, and we're going to be talking about Recovery Resource Council. They cover, you know, 19 North Texas counties, um, and they, they, they provide uh, recovery and treatment for indigent, indigent people, people who cannot afford treatment. Uh, and they have all sorts of resources for people in the recovery world. So Recovery Resource Council, uh, they are also, I will be emceeing their event on the 16th here in Dallas at the Hyatt Regency. We got LPGA pro golfer, Laura Ball. Laura Ball is going to be in town and I'm actually back in public. I'm going to be speaking and emceeing again, being around people. Wow. I actually went to a support group meeting today, uh, had to wear a mask, but I was around people and it was great. Had lunch with my sponsor and all that. So doing what we do and all that. So that is uh, that is um, tomorrow night. And then don't miss Thursday night. My girl, my girl, Marsha Williamson, CEO, founder, not founder, CEO, president of uh, the Dallas 24 Hour Club. We're going to be talking about uh, national giving a day and national giving month and giving and giving. I actually gave some clothes today. Um, so we're going to have her on the show talking about the 24 hour club. Uh, and then we talked about the, uh, the 16th um, in seeing the event. I need to get out of the way. I am so glad to be back in studio tonight. And uh, I want to bring on our guest. I need everyone to share this out. Okay. Share this out. we got a great guest tonight. Uh, my girl, she was Introduced to me by the great Gary Kaufman, who has been a um, a booger on my finger. Uh, he is the only guy that like begs me to be on my show, and we let him on just to kind of just we chalk it up as servant work to let Gary Kaufman on the show, and we let him. His story changes every time he's on the show. So, but Angela, welcome to the show. How do you say your last name? You know, I was so proud of you because you nailed it. You said it right the first time. And I was like, oh, wow, nice job. And then you you second-guessed yourself and you screwed it up. So it is I, Pew. I did. Angela Pew. Uh, and I remember a football player way back in the day in Dallas. His name was Jethro Pew. So they spelled it ah. the same, same, same way. So, uh, Angela, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. You and I have been kind of bouncing around for over a year, really. When we yeah, it's been a while. Cross paths, and um, you're up in Kansas City, just yes, north sir. of north of Dallas Fort Worth area. And um, Angela, you you've got a lot to talk about tonight. We have a lot to talk about, and we're going to get to know each other live on the show. Into the Rock. So right here, let's do it. You have got a huge following in your podcast and, and talking mm -hmm. about addiction, but you are the um, the owner and founder of Kansas City Recovery. Um, yes, sir. Before we get into that. Who's Angela? What's your story? <laughs> well, where do I start? That's a big right. question. <laughs> I am, uh, I'll tell you what, I am a sober person, which is probably my greatest accomplishment in life and probably the most shocking to people that know me. <laughs> and my journey really began in my recovery, right? As I started to become a better human being. I was kind of shocked by it. And I knew that if I could do it, literally anybody could do it. And I knew very early on that I wanted my life to revolve around recovery and I wanted to help other people get all the joy that I was getting from turning my life around. So that's where it all started. I was probably, I was probably maybe six months sober when I knew that I wanted my world to revolve around recovery. And what year was this when you decided to make the change of, of getting sober? I got sober in 2006. 2000, and what happened? So, what hap so in 2005, we're doing what we do, okay? In 2006, 
what happened? How did this mental obsession get removed? And, and how did you start this new way of life? Well, I definitely didn't plan it to say the least. Um, you know, 2005 was a very rough year for me. My drinking really took a turn and got extremely dark and uh, I was sad. You know, I hated my life. I hated myself. I was not proud of who I was. I was a daily drinker, hardcore alcoholic. And I got my first DUI. And really, to be honest, that was the beginning of the end. And it took you know, almost a decade and a half for me to get my first DUI. But once I got it, you know, once I was in the legal system, uh, it was downhill quick. Mm. And, you know, fast forward eight months, I was labeled a habitual violator of my probation. And uh, Miss, final- Miss Pretty, Miss Pretty Angela, you were <laughs> what? They can't do that to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Listen, I'd like to say that jail made me stop drinking, but it really didn't even slow me down. Unfortunately, I just kept going. But the final final was I crashed my car at 70 miles an hour. I hit another car on the freeway. And um, I don't remember a ton about my accident. The most of the stuff that I know was from my trial. But Right after the accident, I thought I had killed the guy that I hit. Oh my. And that made for uh, a very interesting few minutes. I'm not sure how long the time frame was before they told me that he was okay. But really what I was thinking about in those few minutes was, you know, how am I going to call my mom right now and tell her I just killed somebody? Like, how do you have that conversation? And I always say this on the podcast too. I literally have like the best mom, like the quintessential, amazing mom, honest, incredible integrity. I mean, she's just a phenomenal woman. And one of my greatest disappointments in myself is that I wasn't more like her you know, and yeah, and I was on the side of the freeway, I was bloody and broken and trying to figure out how I was going to tell her that the news that I killed somebody and, and how was I going to deal with literally hearing her fall apart on the other end of that phone call, you know? So when you had the accident, and was this was this the day that you had the awakening that you never drink again at to this time? I knew in that moment that drinking was no longer an option, you know, and what's weird is I never, it never dawned on me that I could hurt someone else. Like I didn't care about hurting me. I had hurt myself in various ways, you know, drunk as we do, but it never crossed my mind. I could hurt another person. So I got home from the hospital the next day. uh, I was the only one hurt. The guy I hit was fine. I was the only one hurt. I got home the next day. I detoxed for about three days. I drank one last time and just not knowing any better. I put myself in a position. Me and a bunch of friends had bought concert tickets many months before and the concert rolled around. Everybody knew I had been isolated and going through withdrawal in my apartment. And my buddies were like, Angela, just come out. It's not a big deal. We don't care how you look, you know, because my face was all busted up. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we don't care how you look, but you got to get out of the house. You can't stay in there forever. And I thought, and it was very naive, but I thought that they would understand I wasn't drinking mm-hmm. because I had just crashed my car drunk, right? So I go to the concert with all my buddies. It's an hour away. Obviously, I didn't drive. I was actually very scared to drive for a long time after my accident. And uh, we were waiting in line to go in the show. And my buddy looked at me and he's like, I'm going to go get drinks. What do you want? And I had the strength one time. I had the strength to go, I'm not drinking. You know, like I thought, what is wrong with this dude? He's crazy. Like, I'm not drinking after what just happened. And he looked at me and he's like, Angela, I know you. And if I get you a drink, you're going to drink it. So you may as well get what drink you want. And in that moment, all of these things flashed through my mind. Like, number one, I did not have a ride home. I was an hour away. I didn't have $100 for a cab ride. Nobody was coming to pick me up. My last ride had just picked me up from the hospital a few days before. And I was trapped. And I was like, what am I going to do? Am I not going to drink? It's going to be miserable. They're going to be mad at me. Like, I'm trapped here. There's nothing I can do. 
And I thought, okay, I'm gonna drink this one last time. I knew it was my last time drinking. I drank out of control, of course. And I woke up the next morning, it was a Saturday morning, and the first thought that crossed my mind was, thank God that's over. Wow. And then what happened? How did you enter into recovery? So I waited about seven days to go to my first 12 step meeting, mostly because I wanted the swelling in my face to go down. Right, right. I gotta look good when I go in. Well, no, I just, I was really tired and I was very achy. And when I left the hospital, of course they prescribed me painkillers, but I didn't get them. It was my little way of punishing myself. And I said to my friend when he was dropping me off from the hospital that next day after my accident, I said to him, he goes, do you wanna go get your prescriptions filled? And I said, no, I said, this is the first time in my life I feel like I'm as ugly on the outside as I am on the inside. And I deserve to just suffer. Wow. Like that's where my head was. So yeah, I was in quite a bit of pain. Well, who directed you? Who gave you, who said, Angela, if you want a new way of life, go to these rooms and and go in there and sit down and shut up and and listen for the similarities, not the differences. Who made that nudge? (laughs) Well, that had happened actually many years before. So I lived in Los Angeles for a long, long time, all my whole 20s. And I was a bartender, right? I was a bartender all over Hollywood and Beverly Hills and in LA. It, it was not uncommon that I would be bartending with another bartender who was sober and in AA, or one of the cocktail servers was sober and in AA. So I had kind of been exposed to that all along the way. I mean, in Los Angeles, it's certainly not weird to be in recovery, like half the place is in recovery. Right. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had just been exposed to it. I actually dated a guy in my twenties who was clean, like 16 years at that time. As humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So I didn't know a lot about the program, but I knew it was available. I really didn't know about treatment or anything like that. Like I thought treatment was just only for celebrities. I didn't think regular people could go. And that might've been a little more true all those years ago, but um, yeah, it was just the only thing that I knew. Tell me this, what does it mean to work a spiritual program? I mean, do you, um, we talked prior to the show and we were both, we both attend the same, you know, groups that we go to, but it's a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does that mean to you? It took a long time for me to even begin to understand what that means. And I think for me, it is kind of having an understanding. Like I, I don't believe that I don't believe in coincidence, right? I believe that everything happens the way it's supposed to. And that means sometimes I don't get my way and that's okay. It's not the end of the world. Usually when I don't get my way, it's because there's something better coming down the road and I just have to be patient, you know? So it's just kind of turning it over and understanding that I am not the creator of the universe and I don't have all the answers. And if I can sit down and be quiet and <laughs> let the universe guide me, um, it's a hell of a journey. <laughs> so I love asking this to my guests that are, that are on the show that we, I ask this question that people that are really working a recovery program, the great thing about recovery is my personal is I can finally answer the question Michael, why do you drink? And I'm dual diagnosed. Why do you drink and do drugs? Okay. Why do you do that? And for year after year after year, my immediate feeling was I was angry 
because I didn't know why I drink and did drugs. Right. I just did not know why I did it. Why did you drink? Why for the people out there, the newcomer, especially that's watching the show, why'd you drink? I drank because I was a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> there you so go. I definitely, I definitely have a little bit of a different story in that way. You know, I did not drink in high school. I wasn't even interested in alcohol. I went to all the parties. A lot of my friends drank. It just wasn't my thing. I had no interest in it until I started working in bars. And once it was a part of my environment on a daily basis, then it just became very normal. I mean, for me going to work every day, everybody I saw drank. Mm -hmm. So I just started having some drinks and it took a long time for me to be out of control. But yeah, sometimes I say like I was almost an accidental alcoholic. Like I'm one of the people that just drank long enough that it got me, you know? Drink for the effect. You know, we drink that. That's what we do is we drink for the effect. And then our sick brain tries to fix our, fix our sick brain. Right. Yeah. Right. You so. know, I can look back on my journey now and I can see all of those sort of pivotal moments. You know, I can see each place where I went a little further down the rabbit hole with alcohol. And, you know, in the beginning, my first few years, it was like we would go out to do things and have fun and dance and maybe have a couple of drinks. My focus wasn't drinking, you know, but maybe we'd have a couple of drinks to then it was we were going out to drink to then it was I didn't do anything without drinking <laughs> to right. then drinking constantly, you know? Yeah. Like I can see every move now um, looking back and I drank alcoholically from the beginning in the regard that I drank almost every day from the beginning. Right. I didn't over drink. I wasn't blacking out. I wasn't going crazy. I didn't have consequences because I didn't have a tolerance. Right. So me in the beginning, a night of drinking might have been three beers, you know, um, but I definitely didn't do it right because I was doing it every day. And there's nothing normal about that relationship with alcohol either. Yeah. And I love, I heard something in a recovery group meeting today, this gentleman who's been clean and sober since 1973 uh, made the statement. He says, uh, you know, I got, in, I, I got in trouble a lot, but every time I got in trouble, alcohol was involved. Okay. Yeah. So um, alcohol didn't get me in trouble, but every time I got in trouble, alcohol was involved. And yeah. I, I sat there, I nodded my head. I was like going, that is me. God, is that me? And so it, it's amazing. Before we get into what you're doing today, if you just join us, this is Angela Pugh uh, out of Kansas City. She's the owner and founder of Kansas City Recovery. Uh, she is an addiction interventionist, which we're going to get into here in a second. <laughs> she is a recovering alcoholic uh, and she's a life and recovery coach, which I'm really excited to talk about because you're a bartender. You are mm -hmm. an extrovert. Uh, you love to help people and serve people, which is your character, which is an asset that we've learned in our 12 steps that we get that. So now you get to do that today. But before we get into that, I always like to ask this question for the newcomer. Um, step three, what does that mean to you? Made a decision to turn your will and life over to the care of God as we understand him. Because a lot of newcomers, and I'm bringing this up, and I've, I've been meaning to say this a lot because during the COVID and the pandemic and people, newcomers are really having a hard time with step three. What is your experience with step three? I would say in my beginning, step three was really challenging because I am not a God person. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a hang up about it enough to keep me out of the rooms. Um, I, I started to a little bit and I just had a conversation with myself. I was 33 when I got sober and, and that was exactly what I told myself. I was like, Angela, get over yourself, dude. You're 33. Like nobody's going to force you to go to church. Nobody's going to force you to believe in God. Just go sit down and shut up, you know? And, and that's really what I did. And I think just like we talked about a few minutes ago, it really mostly is about me getting out of my own way and me not trying to control and micromanage everything and recognizing that I don't have all the answers. And certainly when it came to living a sober life, I did not 
I had really broken thinking and I could not use my broken thinking to fix myself. Right. Yeah. Broke brain. <laughs> broke brain. So Angela, Pugh, what is, you've got a great following. You've got a very successful podcast. You're coming up on two and a half years and you and mm -hmm. I crossed paths about a year ago. Uh, we talked on the phone and as a matter of fact, when I emailed you today, the link, I have your email address already saved in my computer. So I've, it popped up. So we've had some dialogue. It's mm -hmm. flown by, but tell us real quick. Let's, let's walk through this addiction interventionist. What is that? You froze mm -hmm. on me. So oh, addiction are we back? There you are. There you go. So addiction <laughs> interventionist. What is that? Yeah, so an interventionist is just a person who comes in and brings a family together to urge a loved one to get treatment. And, you know, intervention is definitely a skill set. I think intervention is very much a personality also. You have to be very fast. You have to be able to pivot very quickly. Um, and you have to be able to communicate well, manage a lot of people, lead people. So it is definitely a personality too. And the intervention was the first piece of my private practice that I started building. I was about two years sober and I saw the show intervention for the first time. And it literally almost pulled me off my couch. Like it came on the television and I was watching the conversation take place with the family. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what I was made to do. Right. And my entire trajectory changed in that moment. And I knew I had to figure out how to become an interventionist and what education do I need and what certification do I need and where do I go to get it and how much does it cost? And, and that was the next probably four to five years of my life really was getting a lot of education, a lot of experience. I reached out to a lot of other interventionists and asked for help and guidance. And most were not very kind, but I did find a couple that were very kind and willing to help another person coming up. And yeah, and I started building my career. I actually couldn't finish college because when I got to my senior year of college, I was traveling to do an intervention almost every single week. Wow. So I couldn't, I, it was like, do I put this incredible business and career on hold to finish my senior year? I was like, heck no. So, <laughs> so I had to kind of make that choice. And, and yeah, I've done interventions for a long, long time now, 12 years. So in an intervention, when, you know, as we talk to families, a lot of families that watch him to the rock, th their biggest fear, their biggest fear is letting go, letting go of the addict, letting go of the mm -hmm. alcoholic. Um, and I talked to a gentleman the other night, he kept using the word cutting them off. And I said, okay, you're having a real hard time with that word. Let's kind of shift the view and let's use the word boundary. Okay. Yeah. Let's use the word boundary. Um, what what is your suggestion and what do you what do you share with the codependence of the family that is having a hard time loving an addict, burying an addict? It's so challenging. You know, honestly, I, families sometimes are the most challenging part of an intervention because when I sit down with another person with addiction, that's easy. You know, we connect on a different level because we have the same monster that lives inside of us, you know, and I speak addict fluently. So I'm good there. You know, we can talk all day long and get things done. Um, you know, families, it is hard. And I definitely have to constantly remind myself that what a horrible position to be in when you have the fear every day of losing your child and and it is a lot of reframing, right? It's not people kind of confuse loving and enabling. And it's a very thin line between just loving your kid and enabling them. It's a very thin line. But when you're enabling your child or whoever, your spouse, parent, whoever it might be, you're really doing them a great disservice, right? Because right they're not able to make decisions on their own. And the truth is, as people with addiction, I have to have consequences. It's not optional. Mm -hmm. I have to feel the weight of my choices 
And I have to be the one to troubleshoot and dig my way out of whatever hole I have created. It's so important that we have that. But I try to compromise with families, right? Because I don't ever want them setting a boundary that feels terrible to them and that they're not going to be able to keep. Because the most important thing with the boundary is not that it's big and dramatic. The most important thing is that it's a boundary you're willing to stick to. Right. That's exactly right. And then, and then what is the game plan when you sit down and you put the intervention together? I know that I've seen, I mean, I'm playing dumb here. I've been a part of some, but you know, reading the letter and all of this, and there's a game plan and we stick to the game plan. Um, what is the game? The, what's, what is the standard game plan of a textbook intervention gone right? To get the person to inpatient treatment. Mm -hmm. That's the end game. So where you have to really be careful and where letters help for sure is, you know, it's easy. Of course, the addict is going to try to find the weakest link in the room and try to deflect. Right. So they're going to try to pick fights. They're going to pick at mom and get her emotional because it throws her off her game. And it can very easily turn into family therapy gone wrong. You know? right, right. So you have to really direct. And I tell families in a good intervention, they really don't have to say much of anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I will steer that conversation. I will protect the family. I will also protect the addict because typically I'm the only other addict in the room. I'm just as much that person's teammate as I am the family's teammate. But we are going to stay on script. We have one goal. We have one end game. And that's all we're talking about. I don't care if the addicted person wants to fight about this or that or blame some stuff on you. That's not the conversation we're having today. Right. And then as far as the, the treatment center, and this is a whole other topic, and this has really come across our desk a lot lately. And there are some really good, solid people out there that are out there trying to make a a movement about the rogue treatment industry. And I had no clue how dirty this industry can be. And that's where a good interventionist can come through to steer you into the right direction to the right treatment center. Talk about that a little bit, because there are, I've been seeing that there's recovery advocates out there that are, that are dressed up as these people to suck people in to, for body brokering. And I mean, it's really a mess out there. I mean, I've learned so much just in the last two weeks. What's your take on that? Where it definitely can be a mess. There's no question. And I always recommend you have to find somebody that you can trust. Right. You know, one of the first things I tell families is. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No I do not get paid in any way, shape, or form from a treatment center. I do not get referral fees. I don't get any of that. So right. it does not benefit me to 
to refer one place over another, right? I am going to tell you what I think is the best fit for your person. We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about that and your person and their struggles to make sure we get a good fit for them. And that there's a lot of things to consider in that. But I know for me, I have a pretty tight knit network that I reach out to. Um, certainly if I have a situation, you know, I did a, a whole bunch of adolescent cases recently, which is not real common for me, but I had like three in a row that I did and adolescent treatment centers, a whole other ball game, right? So luckily I have my own network of people across the country that I can reach out to and say, Hey, what's your recommendation? I have questionnaires that I call every treatment center and I ask them a series of questions and I fill out the questionnaire and I show that to the families, mm. um, you know, so they know exactly what I'm looking for, why I'm looking for certain things. And I typically do not work with treatment centers that I don't know. You know, yeah. it has to be probably somewhere that I've toured. I have to have a personal connection of some sort because if anything goes wrong, which here's another treatment thing, you know, there's, there's bound to be some drama in treatment. You're taking a whole bunch of people at the absolute worst time of their life and you're right. throwing them in a room together and telling them to get their shit together and live happily ever after. Right. right? It's not, it's not going to be drama free. So, right. But if there is some drama or any kind of discomfort, if my family that I'm working with gets uncomfortable for any reason, I want somebody that I can call and say, Hey, what's going on? So I can be the liaison between that treatment center and that family because they do not speak the same language. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> you're, you're a translator. Yes. What's going on. And you know, and when I, I, like I said, I would work with clinical on healing Springs ranch and my job literally is I go there on Thursdays and I spend the day with the clients do group with the clients with a licensed therapist in the group. Okay and educate them on what long-term recovery looks like. When we leave here, this is what's recommended and suggested, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about 12-step recovery, support group meetings, mentorship, a therapist or a sponsor. And we, we, we coach them through this. And, and basically I'm sharing my personal experience. This is how I'm staying clean and sober today, right? And it's, there's something so powerful about one alcoholic, you know, working with another. So. So that's great on the interventionist side there. Now you also, um, we got the recovering. Now life and recovery coach, talk mm -hmm. to me about that. What the heck is that? So I was always interested in life coaching right from the time I was very young. I loved self-help. I followed mm -hmm. Tony Robbins from a young teenager. Uh, I always loved that stuff. So when I got sober, that was the first certification I got. And not because I thought I would do it as work, I just wanted to know how to help myself. Things, you know, I got it as a life coach. And hold on, Angela, we've lost you just a little bit. We had a really good run going there. There you are. You're coming back. You're coming back. Hold on. There you are. You there? Okay. Life coach, Tony Robbins. And we're back. You're, but you loved helping people catch you up. You're talking about Tony Robbins inspired you and you wanted to, to give that inspiration away yourself. So go ahead. So it wasn't until many, many years later that recovery coaching became a thing, right? So now you're just taking life coaching and putting a recovery emphasis on that. And really I learned it's through the course of doing so many interventions, my most valuable tools were my life coaching tools. Mm. That was all the stuff that I was using more than anything were basic life coaching tools. So I knew that that stuff was really going to be the most important stuff. And then recovery coaching came on the scene and I was one of the first recovery coaches to be hired in the state of Kansas, right? They really didn't even know how to utilize us yet. It's the only real job I've ever had. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me back up a second. Let me back up a second. So the state of Texas, Texas, state of Kansas hires you as a recovery coach. What, what does that mean? 
So there's a nonprofit organization that works with people who can't afford treatment. They also work with, uh, they have a whole piece on mental health and they have a piece for in Kansas, three or more DUIs is an automatic felony, right? A third DUI is an automatic felony. You are doing some jail time. And so that was my population, right? Third or more DUI offenders coming right out of jail. Well, now you've got a felony on your record. You have all these barriers to overcome. It's hard to get a job with a felony. It's hard to find a place to live. So they brought in recovery coaches to do that peer-based support and help people really navigate daily recovery living and figuring out how to do that. So what's that look like on a daily basis? So I come out of I come out of jail. I'm on probation. I'm court ordered to Angela. Is that correct? Well, you're court ordered to a program, which was the nonprofit I worked for. And as a part of that program came recovery coaches. Gotcha. And the role of a recovery coach is do you work me through the steps? Are you are you my therapist? How's that work? No, it really is daily recovery living, right? So helping people find meetings, meeting them at meetings to get them a little more comfortable, introducing them to other men and women who were already stable in those support groups, making those connections, helping them with sometimes filling out applications to live somewhere, right? Helping them do that kind of stuff, helping them do job applications. It was many different things. Wow. So you got that going on. And now you have the number one addiction podcast, um, Addiction Unlimited, correct? Correct. Uh-huh. How'd you get that name? I don't know. It just came to me, literally. <laughs> it just came to me. I wanted it because I wanted it to be unlimited in the regard that we don't just talk about one addiction. Right. We talk about everything, every aspect of addiction. It's just unlimited. And that there are unlimited ways to find yourself on a recovery path. Because where I love my support group, I understand that there are plenty of people that don't wanna be a part of a support group. They don't wanna be a part of any of them. And that's fantastic too. I want you to get help instead of not get help. Oh, I so, like that. There's unlimited ways to do that too. Where can they find your your podcast, Addiction Unlimited? And we'll wherever put- you like to listen, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, it is it is everywhere. It is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. It's on everywhere, and you can yeah. find it on the internet, of course, addictionunlimited.com. You can listen to all episodes on there too. There you go. See, I can just check out these right here. You just named them off. So Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, iHeart, just Google, you Google her name. It was very easy to find um, on, on that. So tell me what has been going on. Now you have sober living houses too. Is that correct? You and I were talking yesterday. Yeah, I do. I own another company called Kansas City Recovery and we have men's sober living houses little more structured than a lot of other things we have in Kansas City. You know, Kansas City, unfortunately, is a place that we don't have a ton of resources and it's definitely growing. But I was doing all these interventions around the city and people, you know, the parents are calling me going, "Okay, he's getting out of treatment. Where is he going to live? You know, so there was definitely a need there. Uh, for a nice, stable, sober living. We're very much a family environment. You know, we do a lot of stuff together. My guys are required to do service work. We do family style dinner uh, once a month in each house. And yeah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good fun thing. Okay. So let's walk through sober living real quick for the people who are uh, afraid to ask the question, what is sober living? What does that mean? How does that work? Sober living is typically where someone will transition to after inpatient treatment. Now, that is not 100% of the time. Sometimes people will come to us a little later. Sometimes they go home first. You do have to have most places three to four weeks sober before you can come into sober living because we need you to be stable and out of any kind of withdrawal stage. Um, But yeah, I don't have any you know, mandatory minimum or maximum stay. You know, I've got a couple of guys that have been with me well over a year in my houses and 
they're thriving and doing well and they can stay as long as they want. <laughs> and what are some of the just the regular rules, the rules and guidelines? Because, you know, as an alcoholic, we're self-will run riot. Now we are put in a box. Uh, there are uh, there's rules. And so what does that look like? Accountability. So, that's the word I'm looking for. There's some accountability for sure. Just living amongst other recovering people. Right. We do random urine and breath testing um, constantly. Uh, there are chores. Everybody's got to maintain their chores. We have curfew. Uh, again, my guys are required to do service work every month. That's been more challenging with coronavirus, but uh, but we're definitely doing the best we can and keeping that up because for me, that is a huge part of my life, a huge part of my recovery. Um, we have a weekly meeting community group every Sunday that's required. Everybody has to be there. It's the one time of the week that we're all there together at the same time just to do a check in and see how everybody is. What are you working on with your sponsor? How many meetings did you make? How's life going? You know, just basic stuff. Right. And if someone does pop dirty, which uh, the word dirty means they, they've been using, they've been drinking or using, what happens? What happens to those guys? So they have to leave the house for sure. For us, it's a minute. They have to leave for 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Now, I am not a black and white. If you relapse, you're out. Because I think oftentimes a relapse can be a teaching moment. And it doesn't have to be a punishing moment. Mm -hmm. Um and I take a lot of things into consideration. You know, if somebody has been fantastic in their recovery and they're really working hard and they're going to meetings and they're working with a sponsor and they're a great member of our home, I'm less apt to kick them out for a relapse, right? right? right. I, I want to talk through that. I want to figure out what happened. Where do we need to double down? What are we not doing enough of? How can I support you? Um, and we talk about it as a house. And after that 72 hours, they can come back to the guys and say, would it be okay if I move back in, make their amends, of course. Uh, the one thing that will absolutely get you kicked out, no questions asked, is if you bring a substance into my house. Gotcha. If you bring something into one of my houses, that's a whole different story. You know, it's, uh, it's one thing. If I make a choice to relapse and I go do that, that's my choice in my life, right, affecting me. Once you bring a substance into my home, you are now putting every single person there at risk. And I am fiercely protective of those guys, so. I, yeah, I like that because we're, we're protecting the guys who are trying to work their program and, and trying this new That's way right. of life. Let's talk about relapse for a second. I know a relapse is um, a part of recovery. Like sometimes that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Um, but based on your experience in living in recovery and then being around people who do relapse, the chronic relapser, okay? What do you see as someone who is struggling with chronic relapsing? What is, what is the common denominator that you, that you witness? Well, that's a loaded question because, yeah. you know, oftentimes a chronic relapser, there's some trauma there that probably isn't being dealt with, right? Well, same said. Thing, well said. The same thing with on the intervention side too, right? I'm not going to send somebody to addiction treatment five, six times. Now, I want to see their periods of sobriety getting longer and relapses getting shorter because that is progress. Right. But if somebody's really not getting it and they have a certain, like I make it 30 days and then I relapse, there's probably some underlying stuff going on that hasn't been dealt with that just makes sobriety so uncomfortable. You know, with trauma comes sadness, depression, self-loathing, super high anxiety. And if you quit drinking and that's all you feel, obviously sobriety is not going to be sustainable. Right. right. So we got to dig in and deal with some of those other things. Sometimes I'll tell you what I feel like I see more often than not. Anybody that listens to my podcast is tired of hearing me say this, but we are lazy and we want to get lazy in our recovery. And we want to start talking ourselves out of going to support groups. And we want to say, ah, you know, I don't have to do that every day. Or, you know, I don't have to read that today. I don't need to call my sponsor today. I don't need to go hang out and have coffee with my recovery friends. I can go meet my other friends and watch a game and while they have a beer. I don't have to have a beer. Right? You start talking yourself out of recovery. 
I knew from day one, if I drank every day, it just made sense that I would work on my recovery every day. Right. That was logical to me, right. you know, because I needed to put equal effort into my recovery as I put into my drunkenness. I just thought of this. This is good stuff. If you're just joining us, Angela Pugh with um, re with Addiction Unlimited. She is an addiction interventionist, recovering alcoholic. She's a life and recovery coach. Uh, the, she's the owner of Kansas City Recovery, KCR. Uh, so okay. is, do you have a tattoo? I, I don't have any room to put a tattoo. I can't put KCR on me. So <laughs> I like that KCR. But um, and it's just got a lot of great stuff to talk about. She has a number one addiction podcast in the world. I'm putting it out there in the oh, world. In the world. Nice. Congratulations. And so you <laughs> want to check it out. I'm excited. I'm going to be on the podcast. We're going to schedule that. I'm super excited to be able to whatever we're going to talk about. But um, there's something that I like to talk about. What do you what's your take on Matt? Medically assisted treatment. What do you what's your take on Suboxone, methadone? Um, I don't know where that question came from, but I just have this feel. I love this topic and I like to see where it goes. You love these loaded questions. That's what you love. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can take them. <laughs> so listen, I am not for or against anything. That's what I will say. I, like I have seen, I have seen a lot of these medications literally save people's lives, really be a game changer for them. I have also seen some of those medications become a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to be really careful, certainly in a sober living environment. I'm not against taking people on Suboxone. It is a big conversation because it is a, it's still abusable, right? And if you're going to have it in my home, we have a lot to talk about there wow. because I have to protect all those people there, you know? Right. And we got to be on the same page with that. I need, if you're bringing that in my house, I need to know that you're protecting everybody too. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, it's so funny because a lot, I would say the majority of sober livings won't even have the conversation. They don't want Suboxone in the house for sure. Um, because the big thing people think is that they're going to continue abusing Suboxone. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you the biggest problem I've had with Suboxone is that people will just decide to not take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you just decide to stop taking something that is prescribed by a doctor, right, that has to be done in a methodical way, and you just decide you're not going to take it anymore and you're not going to refill your script, well, now we have a very unstable situation on our hands. Mm. You know, we have a mentally and emotionally very unstable situation. And there might be some withdrawal symptoms with that, which is going to be uncomfortable, which can also be triggering for everybody else in the house. So it's a tricky topic, but I've definitely seen it change people's lives too. So I can't tell you I'm one way or the other. We had a gentleman on the show. His name is Joe Powell. I don't know if you've crossed paths with him. He is the CEO and founder of APA and he heads up the big Texas rally for recovery every year. He's been doing it for 30 something years. He's been clean and sober since 1972. Okay. And I asked him this question. And I loved his answer. He says, just like what you said, but he says, if their recovery is here and Matt is here, Matt goes away. It yeah. just eventually goes away because yeah. their recovery outweighs any sort of Matt. And I love that. If Matt yeah. is here and recovery is here, I'm in active addiction. Okay. Right. I, I'm not working a program. So uh, recovery is, is, I am an, I'm a, I'm a complete abstinence guy, you know, from mm -hmm. all narcotics and all alcohol. I have caffeine in my body and sugar, you know, mm -hmm. but as far as, um, I haven't gone to prison yet because of caffeine, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that's the program that I work, you know, but I'm like you, I'm very open, you know, recovery is, um, you know, is, is, it's a whole different word today, right? You yeah. know? Yeah. Someone's doing an eight ball of cocaine a day and then goes down the next day to less than an eight ball. That's recovery. That can be real confusing to a lot of people. Yeah. And it was me at first. It was me at first until I listened. And I learned yeah. that when I went to my recovery coach class. So I'm a certified recovery coach as well. And I, I just haven't done anything with it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I sure did. I sure did learn a lot because I'm yeah. a God guy. I am all God. And I, I, I can get real like this. But once I did that recovery class, 
Okay. I really opened up and I, and I saw, I started seeing more, you know, yeah. and it really, it really helped me. So um, I'll tell you one of the biggest issues I see with Matt is people will treat it almost like it's the magic pill and they mm -hmm. think they don't have to work on the recovery part. Right. right. And that's really challenging because you can't expect, I mean, that's a lot to expect from any medication for starters. You know, I have all kinds of struggles that I have to deal with when I get sober, all kinds of behaviors that have to be dealt with. And I have to learn how to deal with those behaviors and how to change them and how to modify myself to be a healthier human. There's no medication on the planet that can do that for you. Right. That's exactly right. right. So any medication, it's like sometimes people will take Suboxone and be like, well, okay, I'm not shooting up heroin anymore. That's fantastic. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're still addicted to porn. You're still on 13 dating apps. You're still chugging pre-workout like it's going out of style. You know what I mean? Like there's all these other things that eventually is going to lead you back to substance. You well, know, and you that's just, a tricky well, game. That's right. So when, when we do a relapse autopsy, you know, on a deal, we go back and I look at the behaviors leading up to when I started active addiction again. See, once the alcohol right. hits my lips and the narcotics hit my body, I'm now I'm, I'm back. I'm back into active addiction. The relapse yeah. is over. And I love how you just described that is because I always say this on the show is that I'm addicted to visible things to try to fix my invisible problems, right? right? So it could be porn, it could be gambling, it could be work, it could be food, it could be her, you know, it could be, yeah. you know, all these things. And, but recovery is I recognize it. That's the beautiful mm -hmm. thing is I recognize it. And when I, and it's all fear-based, it's yeah. all, I'm learned it's been fear-based. And that's the answer to my question, Michael, why did you drink? Why did you do drugs? And I'd have an answer today. I looked at my judge and I could finally answer that question. I said, I don't know how to process fear. And today mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to process resentment. Okay. Today I do. You know, when you told me when I was in active addiction saying, listen, you're, you have a resentment and you play a role in it. I'm like, what do you mean I have what? What are you talking about? I mean, I just had, I was constitutionally incapable of being yeah. honest. And that's yeah. what, and that's what it's all about. So it's, um, yeah, I, I love that conversation about relapse. It's such an important conversation too, that relapse starts way before a drink is ever even in my hand, right. you know, and this is probably my most popular podcast episode is, is relapse a choice. And it's breaking down exactly that process of, I say relapse is a choice because you have to make so many choices leading up to a substance entering your body, right? You have to argue with yourself about should I or shouldn't I? And God only knows how long that argument goes on. For some people, it's months, right? Arguing, should I, shouldn't I? Should I drink, shouldn't I drink? I know I shouldn't, but I really want to. Right. You know, so you have to decide to do it. You have to create the opportunity to do it. You have to get it, whatever it is, right? And then you have to put it in you, however you're doing that. In every step of that process, you have the option to do something different. You That's have right. the option to call somebody. You have the option to go to a meeting. You have the option to jump in an online group. You know, I've got a whole digital company with a community and membership site, and that's exactly what those tools are for, is so you have your tribe. I say it's like having your tribe in your pocket. We are right. your tribe. Let us help protect you when you're feeling weak, but you have to make that choice, right? So in a lot of ways, relapse is a choice. Well, and you're right. And we, I'd love to talk. I talk about relapse a lot. And when I speak a lot, I talk about relapse and I come to, and, and the newcomer, this may scare the newcomer, but I have come to the decision in my little world inside my hula hoop, right? Is that when my eyes are open, I'm in full blown relapse. I mean, all the way down to me personally, nothing against cussing, but if I cuss, that's relapse behavior because mm -hmm. I'm in fear. I want to be heard. I, I, I'm not in control, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to control a situation, I'm in full-blown relapse, okay? Now, what does it mean to be a grateful recovering alcoholic and drug addict? That baffled me when I heard that. I'm mm -hmm. a grateful alcoholic. Well, the reason why I'm grateful is now 
listening to Angela, listening to other men in the room, I have tools on how to process these feelings, right? These, these, these things. I'm like, okay, I'm acting this way as a result of this, right? And so that's how I stay sober because I drink and drug over that stuff, you know, because I didn't think you thought that way. Being an alcoholic is by far the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I agree. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. So is this good stuff? So Angela Pugh with, um, with uh, Kansas city recovery is with us on, on M to the rock. How are you, how are you dealing with this COVID? Let's, let's put everybody aside. Let's talk about your recovery. Okay. I can already feel through the phone. I can feel on this. You are a connection person. You got to have your people around you, right? Sort of. I mean, it was really funny in the beginning. You called me an extrovert and I'm really not an extrovert. I'm a total introvert. It's so I'm, funny. I am too. <laughs> yeah. I'm a total introvert. Why like, are we that way? Why are we that you way? Know, it's it funny. Cool. I mean, quarantine honestly was not much different from my regular life. <laughs> you know? I mean, right. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm super busy. I work from home anyway. Like I said, I have a whole company that is all digital. So I'm like a little mad scientist on my computer, you know, what feels like a hundred hours a day. So, mm -hmm. and I'm an isolator and I'm a nerd. I'm a reader and a researcher and a writer. Like I'm perfectly happy being in my little, apartment with the door locked as long as i got my little dog i'm good oh you're you are so much like me it's crazy you are so much i've been in my underwear for five months <laughs> right? it's sad when I, I leave to go to sober living and i'm like god i have to get dressed oh my god, i got my clothes on <laughs> right we used to do that when we were high oh god, yeah yeah it took a while for it to become bothersome to me um it did Probably about a month ago, I started to get a little irritated because I'm, I start missing things, right? Like I miss just going to the mall and feeling safe. She'll be right back. She's coming right back. She's going to come right back. Hold on. You froze on me. Yeah, you froze on us. So let me put you backstage here just for a second. And let's see if we can get her. Let's see here. Are you there? Uh, she froze. Maybe she'll, she'll log in and log out. Oh, man, we made it. We almost made We made it 55 minutes. Oh, there she is. Hold on. There you are. There, there you I are. <laughs> yeah, so we did it. We had we actually had a good feed the whole show. But but um, but yeah, it's it, connections important. And I can I can totally relate that. Um, I'm an isolator too. And that my solution to loneliness is to isolate. And I know that I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And once I do get around people, I really start, I enjoy it. I have, mm -hmm. I, I do enjoy that. So um, Angela, um, when this is over, please go into the comments um, and put all your information in comments so people can contact you, follow you, uh, be a part of your Facebook group. Um, and I want to thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was so much fun to get to spend some quality time with you. Yeah, it was good <laughs> stuff. And I'm going to end the show. I'm, I'm going to put you backstage. Let's talk for a little bit after the show. But everybody hit the hearts to show your likes and everybody um, in the comments. I do hashtag AP. Okay. <laughs> hashtag AP in the comments to show everybody, to show her how much we appreciate Angela from Kansas City Recovery uh, on M to the Rock. Angela, thank you so much. I'll talk to you here in just a second. Okay, thanks. All right. What a great show, Angela Pugh with Kansas City Recovery. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night, Eric Niedermeyer. Eric Niedermeyer will be um, live uh, here on M2 The Rock with Recovery Resource Council. And then after the show, uh, make sure you go in the comments. Uh, Angela, if you have any questions for Angela, please leave. Oh, I see all the hashtag APs. There we come. But um, make sure that you go in there. Ask any question you want to for Angela, and she would love to uh, be a part of your recovery and invite you into um into her groups and all of that. And so, all right, well, I got three words. Oh, wait, before I do that, I want to thank DFW Coin and Jewelry. That's DFW Coin and Jewelry. And also I want to thank uh, Healing Springs Ranch uh, for, for making this possible. I got three words. It's got eight letters. 
It's got one meaning, and that is I love you. For everybody here at Into the Rock, thank you, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Make it a good night. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.